Well, good morning, folks. I am just thrilled to get to talk with you this morning. I'm excited. I got a fire inside me this morning, and uh, we're starting a new series today that has come about uh, over the last few months, really. I was telling some friends this weekend, I've had this intense sort of growing uh, sense of, of, of passion in my gut, this urgency in my prayer time that I've had with the Lord. And I'm approaching this, this new series very differently than I've ever done before. I never do this. I, I'm just telling you this. It's like my spirit is on fire. My brain is playing catch up. Uh, so that's not a place of comfort for me. I'm, I'm more of a, of a planner, of an outliner. I like to color code all of my things to make sure I know where I'm headed. But I, I'm really relying on the Holy Spirit to guide all of us in this over the next few weeks with a lot less outlining and planning that I'm comfortable with. I don't even have a title for this series. I don't even have any like cool Photoshop artwork, nothing. But what I do know, I know this without a doubt that God has called me to speak to you today about the life-changing power of prayer. At Generations, we have, from the very, very start, put an absolute high priority on the subject, the discipline of prayer. It's from in the very beginning, back in 1984, it's one of the three pillars the church was founded on, to be a house of prayer, prayer, discipleship, and witnessing. Because prayer is crucial. Prayer is important. To paraphrase something the great theologian John Wesley said almost 300 years ago, I believe few things of kingdom value happen outside of prayer. So this is something that God has called his church, not just this church, but his church all around the world to live by this assumption. Yeah, there's things that God could do. He can do on his own. He's God. But we live by the assumption that there are few things that he does outside of prayer. And so we live with that urgency, that kind of importance. We attach that to prayer because in the scriptures, God seems to attach this urgency on prayer. And, uh, and while prayer is, is definitely an element, it's, it's part of uh, every message that I try to uh, teach here that intentionally, um, it's been a while since we've really dedicated an entire series uh, to, uh, purely to the subject of prayer, and so God's been dealing with me. He's been convicting me, really, that this is to be a major theme for our church this year, a major part of our vision this year. And so this series here is last, uh, I don't know, maybe four or five weeks. Uh, but really, I can already tell this is kind of just going to be volume one that this series, we're going to be coming back to this again and again, sprinkled throughout the year, uh, this subject of prayer. There's so much to unpack uh, in this beautiful area of prayer when we talk about it, because, there, because there's so many different types of prayer. Did you know that? Did you know there's a lot of different types of prayer for Christ followers to engage in? Um, it is a big, beautiful, multicolored world, this, this toolbox that Jesus has given us for us to use. And what often happens is if you come from, or if you, like, say you go to one church or you go to this church, or maybe you come from a certain church tradition or that church tradition, or maybe it's even your personality bent, what can happen is you, you tend towards, you, you can easily zero in on one type of prayer and neglect other types of prayer. That's just natural for us. Um, the, the writer Anne Lamont, she wrote this tasty little book years and years ago that sort of broke all of her prayers down to three categories. And it was, it was help, uh, wow, 
uh, what was the other one? She said, thanks, help, thanks, and wow. That was like the, kind of all her prayers went into those three categories. But really, there's far, even far more than three kinds of prayer. There's, there's all kinds of prayer. There's contemplative prayer. Um, there's intercessory prayer, petitionary prayer. And those times, sometimes you'll hear those two terms inter, uh, interchanged, intercessory and petitionary prayer. Really, they, they're, they're both asking God to do something. Uh, the difference being petitionary prayers when you ask God to do something for you, technically. And then intercession, uh, that word means to come between. Intercession is when you ask God to do something for someone else. So we intercede for others and we petition God for ourselves. Uh, so there's those kind of prayers. There's formative prayers. There's prayers of adoration. There's prayers of lament. We've talked about those. There's prayers of thanksgiving. And, and if I'm doing my calling justice uh, as, as your pastor, I ultimately want to be a good and faithful tour guide with all of these different kinds of prayers. This incredible smorgasbord of prayer that he has laid out for us, that he has put in your tool book, tool, tool belt, uh, and, and teach, and so that we can all learn how to partake of all these different kinds of prayer. But this series, this series, at least for the next couple of weeks, um, I feel in my heart that we're going to be focusing on one particular type of prayer that calls upon God to move his mighty hand in our lives. And, and these are prayers that, we, you know, there are prayers that we pray where the real, the real purpose of the prayer isn't so much to change God, but to change us. We've talked a little bit about that before. And these are called formative prayers. It's, it's God form in me, make me the person you want me to be. And they're so important. And I can honestly say, uh, that my life has been preserved uh, because of discovering this as a daily discipline uh, for my, in my time spent with Jesus. But there is another kind of prayer, and the purpose of which is actually to move heaven itself, uh, to call upon God to move his hand in our life and in the life of those around us on behalf of other people, to speak life where there is death and, and hope where there is hopelessness, where there is despair, to dare to call upon God to move mountains and do miracles. And that's the kind of prayer we're talking about right now. And as we're going to discover, we don't pray these kind of prayers because God isn't aware of it. We don't pray because like God's asleep and he didn't know what was going on. We pray because God, in his sovereign wisdom, has created and structured the world in a relational way so that there is actually a need for people to pray, for his people to pray, for some things to come to pass. Well, I really believe this. I see this in scripture, as we're going to see in a little bit, that he has made prayer a matter of necessity. It isn't just a nice option for us to do, uh, you know, if we want to. There is an actual urgency in our prayers. And if we take the prayer of intercession seriously, uh, we, we do this because God takes it so seriously. Now, one of the things that uh, we, we, we come up against when we're talking about prayer, it's kind of a cultural thing. Uh, we in the West, especially in America, uh, we like to see how things work. It's just kind of the pragmatic way we tend to be in, in, in our culture. We, we want to see how things work. We have confidence when we can connect the dots between cause and effect. Um, for example, it's a lot easier to really get into an exercise program when you see results happening, right? Or how many of you have been on a diet? And like those first few days, like you see some pounds dropping off and it's like exciting, right? And we like those kind of things. When we see our tummy getting a little tremor, Man, it is awesome. We feel a little better, um, and we can stay motivated. 
But how many of you know when you dive into an exercise program or you go on a diet uh, and you don't see that it's making any difference? Or how many of you ever hit that plateau period? And uh, as I get older, that tends to be more of the case, more of the time, just sort of like this plateau period. You can know in your head that it's doing some good. You know it's, you know it's probably good for you. You need to do it, but it's harder to stay invested, isn't it? Um, because you can't see it. We like to be able to see the cause and effect relationship between things. And when we don't see it, we can feel like we're wasting our time. And, and I, for one, hate to waste time. And so when, when we're praying, and I've been praying more or less my whole life. I was raised as, in a Christian home, and so I was raised to pray. And with the exception of a few uh, sort of rebellious years there, um, uh, you know, post-teenagehood, uh, I've been praying to God my whole life. And uh, even when I, you know, claim not to even believe in God anymore, I couldn't help but pray. I found myself praying. I'd be like, ah, why am I doing that? You know, because it was like it was inside me. I couldn't get away from it. Just this, this need to pray. And, but I would say in the last half of, of my life, more is when I, I've been able to enjoy a daily commitment to spending time with God in prayer and having dedicated, that dedicated time to sit with him and just sort of offer up to him whatever comes to mind, both my own prayers and, and prayers that have been passed down to me from wise men and women, you know, throughout the, the centuries, uh, and, and then making my own petitions for myself and interceding for others around me, my family, my friends, my church, uh, the world around me, having that time, and then just sitting in his presence, making that time to just sit in his presence and listen and let God form me into the person he needs me to be that day. And there are moments when that experience is wonderful. That experience is, it's amazing. It's supernatural, right? Uh, you, it, you feel all the feels. You can sense his presence. And later, you can see his miraculous power at work. You can see that cause and effect to your prayer. But not always, right? Not always, if we have to be honest. There are other times when I'm sitting there or I'm pacing and I'm praying and there's a part of my brain that's really loud and it says, Scott, you are wasting your time right now. You are not at your sharpest right now. There's some things maybe you should do first than pray right now. You should eat some breakfast. That would really help you pray more fervently later if I had some coffee and some breakfast. Um, you should take some time and read a novel right now. That would be good. You could use a quick round of Tetris on your phone just to clear your head. That's what I need to do, to clear my head. I just need to do that. I would pray better if I checked out a little bit of Twitter right now first. Um, that would actually be good for me. Uh, I'll, do, I'll do that first. I have emails that have piled up all night long. I know I have. They, and I'm one of those guys who hates, I like to see the Z, you know, the email to zero, uh, those, those piled up emails just like eat at me. Uh, I've got texts I need to answer. I've got voicemail. I'm just kidding. I don't answer voicemail. Don't leave me a voicemail. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there's those things I need to do. There's something, if I waited maybe a little bit later in the day, I would be more creative. I, I, I'd be in a better frame of mind to do this um, because right now it kind of feels like you're talking to the ceiling. Have you ever felt like you're talking to the ceiling? When you're praying, it's okay to be honest. Yeah, sure. And maybe hats off to you if you just keep on doing it out of commitment. We keep doing it. It's because we're trying to be obedient. We're trying to do the right thing. But man, it's hard. Man, it's hard to pray like that. It feels like a waste of time. And sometimes you pray and you see those immediate uh, amazing results. But a lot of times you can't always clearly connect the dots. 
uh, between the time you spent in prayer and the outcome, you know? Sometimes even when there is an answer to your prayer, sometimes the prayer gets answered, and even that, when even when there is, there's sort of like, you know, you could explain it another way if you think really hard, like maybe it's just, maybe, yeah, it could have been a coincidence, you know, that it happened that way. I told you my brain never shuts up, right? So uh, blessings to you if, if you're not like me. Um, so even when you do get an answer to prayer, uh, you, can't, you can always reason it away. As, as, a, as a coincidence. And so we see that even with the outcome of our prayer, it takes faith to affirm it. It takes faith to pray and it takes faith to affirm the outcome of our prayer. And it can be especially discouraging um, to pray when you pray over and over for something and you don't see the outcome that you were praying for. And I know that. Prayer takes a lot of faith. And then there is for some folks, there's a kind of a religious wall that we, we run up against. And it's really pervasive down here in the South where we have a, a very strong uh, sort of Calvinist reform tradition. It's very widespread. And, uh, and, and I have friends, I'm not denigrating them, but I have friends in this tradition. But some Christians have a theology that really, it actually works against the idea that God needs us to pray. Um, and, and that prayer is any kind of matter of urgency. It's this idea that if God is all-powerful, uh, then he must in some way be controlling everything, right? He's controlling everything. Everything that happens from a leaf falling from a tree to a president being elected to the car crash outside to me finding a parking spot, right? To me getting that job or me getting COVID. It was like, really, it was all about, it was kind of like God's will uh, just coming to pass. It's the outcome of his will. And, and see, if everything is controlled by God, then what? possible future or difference can we really make? If, if the future is exhaustively settled already, uh, it's all part of the scripted plan, well, then there's nothing you can really do about it, right? Uh, and so when we pray, really, we're just kind of going through the motions. We're just doing a pleasant ritual. Um, and, and so we have this idea that, we, that if also if God's all good, He's just automatically going to do whatever's good that needs done. And if God's, you know, he's, whatever is bad, he's not going to do those things. And so whether we ask him or not, so why bother to take the time uh, to ask him to do anything? If it doesn't fit into our theological box, um, if everything is being controlled by the all-powerful God, right? And, and well, then the only difference prayer can make, if that is true, if it doesn't really affect God and it doesn't really affect the outcomes to anything, well, then the only difference, the only thing it can change is, is us. And so that's one place we can go to. And now hear me in this because I've wrestled with this. I wrestled with this in the past. Does prayer change God or does prayer change us? And in typical third way fashion, I find the answer to be yes, right? The answer is yes. And there, there is a type of prayer, the purpose of which is to change you. The purpose, we call that a formative prayer. It's a beautiful kind of prayer. We're going to talk about it someday because it's really more important than we have time to get into today. But if you mistake that kind of prayer, that aspect of prayer, to be what prayer is all about, you will live and die having missed out on a hugely important reason for us to pray. And this is a ditch that we can fall into. And, and I'm concerned that a lot of church, uh, Christians today fall into this, uh, maybe out of disappointment because of past prayers. Maybe that's you today, and you're hearing this. You're just like, I've been disappointed by past prayers, or, or my prayer's not getting answered the way I would have liked. And so there's this natural tendency to say, well, I guess maybe prayer isn't all about changing anything, changing our circumstances. Maybe it's just about changing me and my attitude. 
which I get. I do. I get that. Um, in fact, the truth is all prayer, uh, when you do it right, all prayer should change us. All prayer should humble us and make us aware of our dependency on God. And it gives God a chance to form us. But here's the thing. When we look at the scriptures, we cannot get away from the fact that this is not even the primary purpose of prayer. In fact, prayer is meant, this prayer of intercession and petition is meant to move mountains. That is what we get from the scripture. Let's be honest. Just be honest. When you pray for someone, when you pray for a loved one, you do it to get a prayer answered. Am I right? Yeah. When my kid's sick, I'm praying for him to get well or her to get well, right? I mean, that's what I'm praying for. I'm not, if, if I have a loved one who has cancer, I'm not asking God, I'm not praying just so God gives me a better attitude towards cancer. I want that thing gone, right? I want a mountain moved in, in Jesus' name. And so when I pray to God to move in our church, to, to, I've, and which has been my prayer lately, God, move in our church, grow us up and grow us out, right? And I encourage you to pray that with me. Let's, let, you know, let's be doing that together. Grow us up and grow us out, Lord God. Uh, I am actually wanting that to happen. I am not praying for God to just make us more content with not reaching the community, right? Lord, I'm not praying, Lord, just help us to be happier being immature idiots and small in number. No, no, I want us, God, to actually grow us up and grow us out, right? I want genuine life change in people. That's what I'm praying for. So when we're talking about is the kind of prayer that actually impacts God and, and, and changes the world. In fact, because in the Bible, time after time, we, are, so we see that things actually hang in the balance. Things hang in the balance on whether or not God's people pray. Throughout the scriptures, it permeates all of scripture. There is this sort of if-then uh, quality, the reality to our faith that just cannot be ignored in the Bible. The Proverbs say, if you receive my words and seek wisdom, then you'll find the knowledge of God. God, he told he told Israel the country he had a he had a covenant with. If you seek my name and humble yourselves in prayer, I'll reverse the curse and heal your land. He says in Romans, if you call on me in prayer, then you'll be saved. If then, right? Jesus says, if you speak to the mountain, it will be cast into the sea. It'll be removed. Right? He didn't say if you speak to the mountain, I'll help you to be more comfortable with the mountain. <laughs> right? I mean, that would have made things easier if he had said that. I like that. But, but he didn't. I can't get away from the fact that he didn't. Dallas Willard, in his book, whew, The Divine Conspiracy. This is oh, such a good book. Just, just don't get me started. It's this probably the single most formative theology uh, shifting book I've ever read outside the Bible. He said this. He says, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he is answering our prayer when he is only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. And he goes on to say, the idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with a dead ritual at best. And of course, God does not respond to that. He doesn't respond to that, and neither would you. Neither would you. The, the shocking truth is this, and it is shocking, I know, to hear for, for some folks to hear for the first time. There is a lot of things that God, I believe, would like to happen that actually won't happen unless the people of God agree with him and intercede on behalf of other people to bring about his will on earth as it is in heaven. Not everything. I'm not saying everything. I'm not saying God can't do something. He can do anything he wants to. But I believe there are a lot of things that he does not do without the intercession of his saints. In James chapter 5, it says, The effective prayer of a righteous man 
can accomplish much. Now, here's something I never noticed my whole life. I've read this passage a hundred billion zillion times. I never noticed till this week. Uh, I was reading this passage in Greek, is that James is actually doing a play on words here. He uses the same word, energeo, it's this Greek word energeo, to describe how we pray as to describe the outcome of our prayer, okay? And this word energeo is where we get the word energize or something like that. And energy is what performs work. It's what accomplishes things, energy, right? And so what James is really saying is that the energized prayer energizes much. The energized prayer, when we invest uh, the energy of prayer. Sometimes that passage in, in your Bible might be translated um, uh, passionate or fervent prayer, right? And those are all great, great translations of that. The energized prayer of a righteous person, of a righteous person, that's anybody who's in Christ. It's not a perfect person. It's a person who's been made righteous in Christ. So if, you, if you're one of Jesus's, then you're a righteous person, okay? And that's anybody who's in Christ. So the energized prayer of the person in Christ, that's you and me, it energizes things around it. It releases this energy into the world, this kingdom-bringing force of the Holy Spirit into the world that would not otherwise be there. That's the only inescapable conclusion we can come from this. God, by his own sovereign design, he could have set up any world he wanted to. He could have. He is all powerful. He could set up any world he wanted to. But because our relationship with him is at the center of everything. And you know, relationship is really about communication. They're almost synonymous, relationship and communication. Because of that, it makes sense for God to wire it into the very fabric of our universe. That talking with him affects everything. Doesn't that make sense? Talking with him affects everything. So in this very shocking sense, and I agree, it's shocking. It's like God... He stoops, and he enters into the room of our universe with us. Big old God, right? And, he's, and he, he does it in a way that he needs people now to intercede and to pray for certain things. E.M. Bounds, he was a fantastic uh, theologian, famous author of the 19th century, wrote this classic book called Power, of Prayer, Power Through Prayer. And he says this, God shapes the world through prayer. It's by his own design. That's how he wanted to shape the world. He shapes the world through prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be, the mightier the forces against evil. And he's exactly right. And by the way, those forces of evil, that, that forces of evil there, that, we don't have time to get into that today either, but that's another element to that. That is another reason why prayer matters so much. Because it's not just you and me and God in the picture. There's a third element in this arena. We have a, an evil enemy, a spiritual enemy who is also at work actively, constantly, never stops trying to thwart the plans of God. So this is another reason why prayer is such a part of our lives, right? There, there is actual spiritual warfare going on. So yeah, we could say for sure, prayer changes us. Um, and in fact, did you know that that should always be a consequence of our prayers? Whenever I'm not just praying, you know, my, now I lay me down to sleep prayers, but when I'm really, you know, focused on what I'm praying with God, it changes me. It should be a consequence if we're praying the way that Jesus taught us to pray, asking God to align our wills with his. Let me look at this. In, he said to, Jesus said, pray this way in Matthew 6. It's the famous, the Lord's prayer here. He said, Father, this is how you pray. Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What he's saying is, may the world around me reflect the kingdom and the reality of your will, right? And, and we, we taught on the Lord's Prayer, uh, it's been a, uh, several years now, in a message in our, in our series, Conversations with God. Go back to the podcast and check it out. We'll probably come back at some point uh, during the year and, and look at the Lord's Prayer from a different perspective. But it, it was a good message there, um, if I say so myself. Anyway, so, but now think about it. Just think about it. I'm bringing this up for a very important reason. If God just did his will, no matter what, then our prayers wouldn't make any difference. And Jesus would not have wasted his short, valuable time on this planet teaching us to pray something just because it sounded pious and religious, right? He would not have wasted his time because he didn't like to waste time either. We pray because we are told things genuinely hang in the balance of whether or not we pray. We pray because God wants to partner with the bride of Christ, that's you and me, he wants us to be a bride who's got authority, who's, who, got, who has power that the world doesn't have. There is something he's given us that the world doesn't have. And we have access to that authority through the power, through prayer. And, and, and the more power there is, the more that inner geo, the more power there is, the more his kingdom is brought into this broken world. And here's where prayer really does have an effect on me. You know, we say, does it affect me or does it affect God? Yes, here's where it does, because when I start with acknowledging the one who I am praying to. How does Jesus start it? Our Father who art in heaven, our heavenly Father. Right off the bat, as soon as, what I, as soon as I do that, I am reminding myself, I am not just like praying to the universe. I'm not just praying for my own benefit to get myself all hyped up. I am praying. I'm not praying. I'm also not just praying to my faith or something like that, right? Like, like, like my faith is a demigod that I'm praying to. I am putting my trust in a person. And, and that person is the most high God. And he is the one that brings this thing to pass. So right off the bat, I am putting myself in proper alignment here. I am acknowledging that it says, hallowed be his name. I am acknowledging, acknowledging that he is holy. He is set apart. He is. And he is far above my biases. He's far above my prejudices, my personality, my politics. He's, ab he's above my personal opinions. He's far above. He is hallowed. And this is why this prayer is so powerful, because if you're intentional about praying this, if this doesn't just become kind of a rote thing that you, you get through uh, when you're going to bed at night, when you are intentional about this, you cannot help but find yourself automatically getting in the right frame of mind. And, and then what that tends to do for me is it gets me off of God's throne, because I find myself unwittingly trying to creep up there all the time. It puts me right back where I'm supposed to be, at his feet, right? It is God that I am praying to. You know, the Bible says, don't use the name of the Lord in vain. Don't use God's name in vain. And, and we always tell our kids, like, don't say, oh, my God, you know, because that's like using his name in vain. You know what really using his name in vain is? It's, it's trying to use God's authority to prop up our own authority, and so we, this prayer automatically goes, no, 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 no. We keep that, we keep that separate. He is the sublime. He is the ground of being, the very ground of our existence, right? He is far above. He is a, a, a will that I am not trying to bend to my own. I am bending my will towards his, right? And that too is prayer. And so then when we get to the next part and we say, your kingdom come, then it's truly his kingdom we're praying for not our own. We're not just praying for our cravings. Uh, we're asking him to satisfy. 
to the extent that God's will is being done on the earth as it is in heaven. That is his kingdom coming. So what prayer is, is really it's a way for the bride to come into agreement with the groom to bring about his will on earth as it is in heaven. Bending our will to his and then something powerful happens in that connection. And prayer isn't just this sort of gimme, 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 grab bag, Lord, you know, just give, he's not a Santa Claus slot machine, Lord, buy me a Mercedes Benz like Janis Joplin for saying, you know, or something like that. It, it, yes, God loves to bless his children, for sure. He wants to bless us, for sure. But prayer is about believers using a unique kind of authority that God's given to us, where we agree we agree with him to bring about his will. Every time you pray for healing, every time you pray for healing, you're praying for his kingdom to come. Every time you pray for deliverance for somebody, you're praying for his kingdom to come. Every time you pray for breakthrough, every time you pray for joy in someone's life, peace in a situation, you are praying his kingdom come because those are kingdom realities, kingdom qualities that that are at odds with this world, this broken world that we live in. You're praying for the kingdom to break through into that situation. And so you can see why it would be absurd for us to pray, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if you believe on any level that God's will is already being done on earth as it is in heaven. See, if you already believe that's happening, or if you believe that prayer isn't really about changing anything substantial about you, around you. I have to admit there, there is an urgency that this creates within me. Um, because if all prayer is about is just changing me uh, and not changing my circumstances, there's a lot less urgency uh, for me to pray when I feel his prompting. You know what I mean? Um, I'll get out of bed at two in the morning uh, if the Holy Spirit wakes me up to pray for somebody, if I think it matters. Uh, but I'm not going to do it just to change me. That can wait till seven. That can wait till after I get my coffee. I mean, I love being changed and all, but I'm going to well, get some more sleep, Lord. Um, I will get out of the house at 2 in the morning if there is an emergency, if there's somebody's life in danger, if the house is burning down, if a, you know, if a robber's breaking in. I'll get out of bed for that. And the fact is, I believe that our prayers really do have that kind of importance. Prayer must become for us a matter of urgency because things genuinely do hang in the balance. And, and I can imagine what some of us are thinking right now is like, okay, well, so, so we're like supposed to pray. Okay, I get, I get that. We're supposed to perform this ritual of prayer, but we're, we're not really accomplishing anything, right? I mean, other than just making God happy, he's still the one who decides when and where the stuff should happen. Well, I want to connect one more dot that, that may blow your mind like it blows my mind. Um, this is seen right in the first chapter of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that we are made in God's image. We're made in the image of God, right? Let us make humankind in our image. Here's an interesting fact. In the ancient Near East, all those cultures back then, uh, which the Israelites were a part of, they were part of all those, those little uh, civilizations, they used this concept of the image of God. This wasn't just unique to Israelites. Uh, a lot of different cultures used this concept. It was almost always applied to kings and sometimes to uh, 
statues, idols, um, that were consecrated to a god. And they were called in the image of God. And sometimes the king himself would say, I am in the image of God. Um, So it was a widespread concept back then. The king or the statue, the idol was in the image of God. And it meant he is a representative of God. It reflects the reign and the power of God in a certain region. And so that king could, you know, command authority and command respect for that. So what the biblical author does here is so brilliant. He takes this concept that was applied only to kings and idols and he applies it to all human beings. And now he says, you are in the image of God. You are in the image of God. And that's what he's saying, that you are created to be a king and a queen who represents God on earth, right? Who carries out God's will on earth uh, right here in this region of the cosmos. Pray God. Amen? And this is, what, what you bind will be bound in heaven, and what you loose will be loosed in heaven, he tells us in the New Testament, that we are the kings and queens. We were created to be like the viceroys of the earth. It's why we always say around here, you are an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. You're an ambassador of the kingdom. You're not just a citizen. Now, it'd be nice to, it's cool to be a citizen, but you're not just a citizen, You're not, because think about it, a citizen can enjoy the rights and privileges of a nation, right? You enjoy the rights and privileges of being here in America, but you can't speak for us. You can't speak for the president or the king or whoever you belong to. And and if you travel to another land, you can't go over there, right? You and I can't go down to Mexico City and negotiate a contract with the president of Mexico, because he'd be like, quien eres, who are you, right? Who, well, I'm an American. He'd be like, I don't care because I, I can't speak for America. But here's the thing. As an ambassador, as an ambassador of the God's kingdom, as an image bearer of God himself, you do get to speak with authority. You have divine authority in this world, right? Because this is where you're stationed. You are an ambassador stationed in this world, and you speak with that divine authority. Well, now, if I'm a viceroy, that's the way they called them in the old ancient days, or an ambassador of the king, I can be sent to negotiate an agreement, negotiate and tell and declare. Yeah, I can do all that kind of stuff. And that is what you are in the kingdom of God. You have been given that kind of authority. And it's an authority given by the king. I can't go make up my own treaties. He's given me the authority to go negotiate a treaty for him, right? So that's what we do. We align our, we bend our wills. We bend our wills to God's will. And then we get to go out there and speak with that authority as if God himself were speaking to a situation. You may be a nobody in this world. You may not have a big job. You may be just a person you live at home take care of the kids whatever it is you know to the to the outside culture you know you're not that important of a person but I'm telling you what you got to know that you were created to be an image bearer of God himself right you're a representative of his kingdom with his power and his authority he has given you this authority to speak over situations you were created to rule amen Amen. You've got a dignity and you've got an authority and a a central part of that authority is through prayer. It's through prayer, that energy that you can release through prayer, through fellowship and partnership with God. We get to stand shoulder to shoulder with him to be partners with God. This is what Paul is getting at when he says uh, in a couple different places, he says twice in 1 Corinthians 3 and, and 2 Corinthians 6, he says that we are God's fellow workers. 
fellow workers. And he uses this word uh, synergos, fellow workers. And, and that's that prefix sin, it means uh, to come alongside of or in a relationship with, like, like a synonymous with. You know, it comes alongside, it's in relationship. And then ergos, guess what? That's the same word we just saw over in James. It's that same word from energeo, right? It's about how we pray. And so what Paul is telling us here is that we are the people who put our energy now alongside God's energy to bring about his will on earth as it is in heaven. How cool is that? So we don't work for God as slaves. We don't work for him. We're not, we're not pawns in a game. We're partners. You're not a pawn. You're a partner with God himself, shoulder to shoulder with him, praying and working to bring about his will in the earth. This is why this is so important. We exercise authority alongside God's authority. Amen. When we first bend our wills to his, and then we have that authority to speak his will into being. You have authority to speak his will into being. And see, this would be utterly impossible if God were already doing everything unilaterally uh, without asking us and just taking it all on himself. There's no room for us in that kind of a picture, is there? And it completely undermines the urgency of, of any kind of prayer. It's as we partner with him that we bring about his will in the earth. Um, friends, you are called to exercise the authority that God has given you. And this is the authority that God has always wanted his children to have. He's always wanted us to have this. When we agree with God, there is stuff that gets released from heaven that wouldn't otherwise get released. That's very sobering to me. Uh, Paul Bilheimer, he, he wrote this little book called Destined for the Throne, just a great little book, uh, years and years ago. Uh, but he says what the church is doing right now, when we pray, when we align our wills with God, and the church, collectively, we pray, we are uh, practicing on-the-job training for the age to come. Because the, the age to come, it says that we are all going to be ruling and reigning with Christ, and that's what we are up to right now, on-the-job training. It's just a beautiful, a beautiful picture. Listen, sickness and disease and being in debt and being depressed and full of anxiety are not part of his original plan of creation. That's not part of his original plan. It's a, it's a natural part of the world right now. It is. That's just the world we live in now. But it's just the sort of thing that the kingdom of God is, wants to break through and confront. That's just the sort of thing the kingdom of God wants to confront. If we will commit ourselves to partner with God in prayer to intercede for the families of this church, for the families of our community, families around the world. And listen, I'll, I'll, you know I'm always trying to be transparent with you, trying to be straight with you. I'm not some guru claiming that if we do everything perfectly right, if you pray just perfectly right and you got your faith just perfectly right, then nobody gets sick and nobody suffers. I can't claim that. I can't. That's not a reality. It's not even scriptural. Um, I, I don't even see that. But there are, and, and there are outcomes to our prayer that I can't explain. And sometimes I have to trust God. I have to trust in his goodness. And I have to trust that all will be made clearer someday when I get to be with him personally. Right? There's a lot of answers that we'll get then. But I do believe this. I believe it is not Christ's will for you to be sick. I believe it is not Christ's will for your marriage to be in trouble. I just believe that. 
I believe it is not his will for violence and strife to fill our streets, right? For, for, for wars to be raging all over the globe. That's not Christ's will. It's not Christ's will for racism to fill the hearts of men and, and political idolatry to fill our Twitter feeds. It's not God's will. It's not his will that the devil attack your family. That's not his will. It's not his will that folks get cancer. That is never his will. Or that kids shoot each other in school. That's not his will for depression and anxiety to be at epidemic levels right now in our world. That's not God's will for for children to be hungry throughout this world, for refugees to be homeless, for families in our community to not have enough money to pay the rent and buy food. That's not his will. We're never going to see a perfect world until Jesus comes back. I know that. We're not going to see the perfect world until he comes back and rescues this whole broken planet once and for all. But how many more miracles could we be seeing? How many more could we see? How much more of the kingdom could we be seeing breaking through into the world if all of God's people would partner with him in prayer as we're called to do? If we were all partnering with him, getting on our knees or whatever posture you get in, interceding on behalf of other people to carry out his will on the earth as it is in heaven. How many more miracles? Scripture records so many examples of God that he couldn't do all he wanted to do because he couldn't find someone to stand in the gap. It's just there. I mean, I didn't make that up. It's, it's there in the scriptures. And folks, you and me, we were called. We are God's agents. We're his agents he entrusts to help write the script. It's not just a done deal. We get to be a part of the story and we get to help write that story as we align our wills with his. We get to do it not only through our actions. It's not all about prayer. It's also like, you know, putting your your money where your mouth is. It's like putting your hands to the plow. We also, we act in love and we do these things. But it begins, for sure, it begins with prayer. And we're not just supposed to wait and see what the future holds. We're the people uh, who work with God to create the future, the future that he wants. Amen? And, And so I'm asking you today, what area is it that God is needing you to intercede about today and tomorrow and the next day after that? What is he, where does God need you to partner with him, to partner with his will, to release that kingdom energy into the world? And it might be your marriage. And, and it, it might be your kids. It, it might be something going on in your neighborhood, one of your neighbors, or it might be someone in your home life group or someone at work in the office or something like that. It might be someone here in church that you know of what they're going through where God wants you to bring gospel hope to a situation. It might be a social injustice that you see going on around you. And God wants you to bring gospel hope into that situation to, so the kingdom of God can break through. And we're to be the people who are listening. We're always listening to God and then obeying the Lord. We have to listen and obey, obeying the Lord when he puts something on our heart. And he will. As you start asking him, as you get a realization that this matters, like there's stuff at stake here, right? Everything is at stake. Things hang in the balance. You'll start to realize, oh, he's been talking to me this whole time. God, forgive me. I've been, I've been ignoring it because I thought, what can I do about it? But he, you're going to start hearing his voice speaking to you about all kinds of things. And you intercede right then. Just get in the habit of being obedient and start interceding for that thing. Whatever time of the day or night it is, things hang in the balance. Things hang in the balance. We pray because everything is at stake. Prayer makes a difference. May we become an army of prayer workers, prayer warriors at, at Generations Church. Not just for our own stuff. That's important. But also for those around us. 
Things hang in the balance for our brothers and sisters sitting right there beside you. So I want to challenge you today. If you're not already doing this, some of you I know are prayer warriors and you do this every day. You're already at it and that's awesome. But if you haven't ever done this before, I just want to encourage you. If you're not already practicing this, take an extra 15 or 20 minutes or so uh, every minute today. Morning is often good for a lot of folks. I, I suggest morning, but whenever is good for you. And, and start committing that time to prayer. Ask the Lord what it is I can intercede for. How can I bend my will? Align with yours, Lord God, and release this kingdom energy into the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Oh, Abba Father, Heavenly Lord, we thank you, Lord God, as we leave this place today, Lord. I just pray that the Holy Spirit, that you'll just put this on our hearts. Convict us, dear Lord. Convict us, Father God. Remind us to be people who are are on our knees or whatever posture it is we pray with, Lord God, our hands lifted toward heaven. Father, we believe. And we, and Lord, in those areas where we need help, we thank you to help our unbelief. But energize us, Lord God, with the power of prayer, the necessity of prayer, the urgency of prayer. Let there be a fire in our heart, Lord God, a fire that grabs us and defines us and moves us. A fire that alters the way that we do life the way that we see our calling, our purpose on this planet. Lord Jesus, make us an army of prayer warriors, I pray. And I pray all this in your name. Pray, we pray, we pray. And all of God's prayer warriors said, amen, amen. Stand to your feet this morning if you can. And uh, as our prayer partners are coming forward now, if there's anything you need someone to intercede about, the guys coming down here to pray with you, these guys have like a PhD in intercessory prayer, man. These guys know the power of putting their faith alongside yours and releasing the kingdom of heaven in your life. So come on down, uh, let these guys pray with you. And uh, things aren't the same. Things are not the same when we pray. Uh, my friends, uh, may, the, may you go out of here and be the prayer warriors that this world needs that God created you to be and walk in his authority, walk in his love wherever you go. Amen. Grace and peace be with you. Bye-bye.